Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 231 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. We are in a sports boom, folks. All the major sports leagues are back. College basketball is back. And Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting actions and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, NHL, NBA. It's all in full swing. And Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Head to Bet Online today. Remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code BLEAV, B L E A V, to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts with that said episode 231 for the love of the game let's get this work some for my guys and Elijah and Lil Bill and Corinne say the black of the bed the sweet of the juice I say the dark of the flesh and the deep of the roots I get my heart and my sister's own welfare if don't nobody else care and uh I know they like to beat you down a lot When you come around the block, brothers clown a lot But please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up Forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him And if you can't learn to love you, you should leave him Cause sister, you don't need him. And I ain't trying to gash up, I just call him out Welcome back, welcome back, episode 231 for the love of the game on the Bleed Podcast Network with yours truly, it's ATH. We are back in the saddle, back behind the mic. We have a very special guest, a first-time guest, coming up a little bit later in the show. An interview I got to do last week. I was honored to do this interview. It was a privilege. Can't wait for it to drop. hope everybody enjoys it. But before that, we're coming to you on a Monday afternoon. We've got weekend sports to talk about. Let's start with the local teams in the NFL. Jets lose to the Raiders 16-12. Sunday night football, disgusting. The Jets didn't score a touchdown again. I mean, it was just terrible, absolutely terrible. Their season's over. As for the Giants, they got shellacked by the Cowboys. Their season's over. The best thing about the Giants right now is, according to Tankathon, they are current holders of the number two pick overall in the NFL draft, which would yield either Caleb Williams or Drake May. That's beautiful. That's all we really have to talk about the local teams right now. The Jets, Zach Wilson, isn't it? They're playing out the string. As for the Giants, it's just time to lose every game possible. Around the NFL, just a quick thoughts around the NFL. And again, this is going to be a little bit shorter of a monologue than normal. I didn't watch as much NFL this weekend as I normally would. Let's just say I just wasn't into it. But a couple of things that I noticed around the NFL. So all it took was for Trent Williams to be back and Debo Samuel to be back and the 49ers look like the best team in the NFC again. They put a beat down on the Jacksonville Jaguars in Duval County, 34-3. to Both teams are coming off a bye I mean, what a clinic this was by the San Francisco 49ers on all phases of the game. Offense, defense, special teams, they absolutely put a beat down on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are leading their division, are going to be a playoff team. I still think they're going to win in the division. But you got to be a little discouraged if you're a Jaguars fan. You've had a good season so far, but against really good teams, quality teams, they haven't looked great. 
They had that one win against the Bills in London. That's a good win. But other than that, they haven't really had a great win. Trevor Lawrence hasn't taken that next step yet where it looked like he was on the verge of doing that at the end of last year. And maybe you just chalk up Sunday to just an absolute ass kicking. It happens from time to time, but the Jaguars need to sharpen up a little bit if they want to be taken seriously in the AFC playoff picture. But another team in that division that needs to be taken seriously is the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans came from behind and beat the previously red-hot Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals team that had won four straight games, was looking like it was rounding into form, and they beat him by a field goal at the end of the game. C.J. Stroud was tremendous. Yeah, he threw that late interception, got the Bengals back in the game, but he rebounded from that interception. By the way, his second interception on the year, rebounded from that interception, drives him down the field, game-winning field goal. The Texans right now, if the playoffs started today, at the time of recording, would be your seventh seed. This is a team that was projected to be a bottom five team. C.J. Stroud is leading all quarterbacks in yards per game and total yards. What a season he's having. Absolutely what a season he's having. And he really could be in the conversation for MVP. I mean, he's got rookie of the year locked up, but why isn't he an MVP candidate? Why not? Why not? I mean, he's leading his team to a way better record than was projected. And if they make the playoffs, he should really be taken seriously as an MVP candidate. One guy who should not be taken seriously as an MVP candidate is Lamar Jackson. Nice comeback wins by the Browns. They were down 14 points at the half. Browns come back to win 33-31. Deshaun Watson, who's been largely terrible most of the year, was excellent in the second half. 14 for 14 passing. The Browns came back after being down 14 points, which is something the Browns never do, never do. So what a win by them. Miles Garrett is an absolute menace, and he should easily win Defensive Player of the Year. Like, lock that one up right now. But the Lamar Jackson thing is an issue. Yeah, he when the Ravens get up, they can be front runners. They look like the most front-running team in the NFL them and the Dolphins. But right now, Lamar has just as many turnovers as he does touchdown passes. And we've seen it time and time again, and we've seen it in the playoffs, that the Ravens can't hold a lead. This is the guy who we've said is an MVP candidate. Lamar Jackson, that the Ravens are the best team in the league. A lot of people were saying that before Sunday. Now, again, the Browns are a formidable opponent. I mean, that entire division is good. There's a real chance that the entire division makes the playoffs. But if you're Lamar Jackson, you really want to be taken seriously as an MVP candidate, you have to start closing games better. And you cannot have as many turnovers as you have touchdown passes. All right, switching gears really quick. The New York Knicks, they're now 5-4 and four after winning three straight. Have a tough one tonight at the time of the recording. Again, it's, this is going to be recorded before the second night of a back-to-back in Boston. If they lose tonight, you can't take – too much stock of that. Uh, but I do want to give a quick shout out to RJ Barrett, somebody who I've been very critical of over the years. RJ Barrett right now is averaging about 22 and a half points a game, about three and a half rebounds a game, three assists a game. He's shooting 48 and a half percent from the field and 50% from three. 
I mean, he's shooting the cover off the ball right now. He's playing really good defense on the other end. He's playing great. He's playing great. This is not sustainable, all right? It's not sustainable. He's not going to shoot 50% from three the entire year. But things look smooth. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I'm very surprised, pleasantly surprised right now with the way he's playing. So I hope he keeps it up. Again, it's only nine games. It's early in the year. But he looks fantastic right now. And the Knicks look like they're rounding into form a little bit. Do I still think that they lack ball movement? Yes. But it looks a lot better right now than it did the first week and a half of the year. And Julius Randle's turned it around a little bit. I still don't like the way he plays. I still think Jalen Brunson's a little bit more tunnel vision. But the Knicks have a lot of energy. Their bench unit with quickly Hartenstein, Josh Hart, and DiVincenzo has been fantastic. I mean, Emmanuel quickly brings in energy that is unmatched. He, he's looking like a sixth man of the year candidate again, maybe even the front runner. And I like what I've seen from the Knicks. I'm as pessimistic a Knicks fan as there is, but I have to give them props right now. And I have to give RJ Barrett his props. One last thing, and I need to talk about them at greater length in their own podcast segment, the New York Rangers. Right now, they are 11-2. and two. They have 23 points. They're leading the Metro division. They've been incredible. They've been absolutely incredible. And it doesn't matter who's been in net. It could be Shesterkin, and he's missed a couple of games. It doesn't matter if it's Jonathan Quick. It doesn't matter if it's called up Louis Domingue for a game. The Rangers just win. And a big shout-out to Alexi Lafreniere, who's been the ire of a lot of Rangers fans. Former number one overall pick. Looked like he was falling short of expectations. Spoken with recurring guest Johnny Lazarus, who I have to have back on, by the way. He's a very busy guy, but I got to have him back on to talk about the Rangers because that's this is his boy. Well, Lafreniere's been excellent to start the year. Seven goals, four assists. Looks like he's fulfilling that promise of the number one pick. So shout out to the Rangers. The Rangers are by far, by far, New York's best chance at a title. It's not even close. Got to talk Rangers on the podcast. Longer segment dedicated to them soon. Got to get that done soon. Johnny Lazarus, this is a call to you. I know you're a busy guy, but come out of the bullpen. Help a brother out. All right. So I teased a little bit earlier, but I'm very excited for this interview that I got a chance to record last week. So it's none other than Tamir Goodman. Former D1 player, first Orthodox Jewish guy to play D1 basketball, play professionally in Israel. We're going to talk with him about a lot of different stuff. We're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. So I have the pleasure of having a very special guest this week. Uh, none other than a major trailblazer in the Jewish basketball community. Somebody who I looked up to. I remember the SI cover like it was yesterday. None other than Tamir Goodman. Tamir, how's it going, man? It's a pleasure. How are you? Everything's going really well under the circumstances. Thank you for having me on your show. Yes, absolutely. So obviously, you know, we spoke a little bit before uh, coming on the air and uh, we were introduced by Bruce. And and as you know, I have uh, some family over uh, in Israel uh, currently serving in the IDF. I'm supposed to come in a couple of weeks for a wedding. So I... Uh, I, I obviously get what's going on, but I wanted to keep things light because there, there's a lot of, you know, angst and and, and sadness. So we're going to keep things light. I wanted to ask you about uh, your pro career in Israel specifically. So coming from Maryland, 
played high school basketball, major high school basketball, was the MVP of the Capital Classic, where I think you held the all the the game single season assist record, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Tied it. Yeah, I believe I tied it. I I, I think LeBron tied tied your I record. LeBron, I think I tied. Uh, I think I tied Jason Kidd, and I think LeBron broke it. If ah. I understand, I know, yeah. No, no, so. no slouches there. I, I think everybody's heard of those guys. So when you were coming from playing college in the United States, playing in Israel professionally, what was the the biggest adjustment you needed to make in terms of the in style of play? What was it something that like you witnessed? You're just like this is a little bit different than what I'm used to. What was that biggest adjustment? Yeah, I think. Um... Well, basically, I was basically left after my freshman year in college. So I was very young. I came over here played, to play professionally. And you're playing with men. You're playing with guys that are feeding their families. And so it's it's a business and it's war and it's very serious. And college is also very intense. And you play, you know, from train at a really high level. But, you know, you're representing your school and you're on campus. And it's 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 an amazing experience here. You know, you really have to win at the professional level. You have to win. So I think it's like that was the first adjustment. And then as far as style of play, I felt like there's a lot of pick and roll over here. It's very, very controlling. I, that was hard for me because I love to get up and down the floor, you know, and read and react and and play in the open floor. I love playing in the open floor. And here it's like it's almost like as soon as you cross half court, you got to stop, look at the coach. And they like the coach kind of really controls every single thing that's happening on the court. So those were some of the adjustments I had to make. The jump up in physicality. Very physical. Yeah. Also the referees usually do not help, you know, young rookie players coming over from America. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. So what, so what was the weight training like to, to get onto that level? Like what, what was the aha moment where you, where you kind of got, maybe got beat up in like a game and you're just like, Whoa, I really need to, you know, get my body right and and figure this thing out. Yeah, no, I think the train, the weight training was, you know, Division One weight training is very intense. I, right. I, the training was was the same intensity. I just think like once you get on the court, you're not going to get the same calls. And the other thing is is like when you play in college, a season is like three or four months, whereas here, you know, you get here in late August and the season ends in June, so you're playing basketball for many, many more months, and your body needs to adjust to that. So growing up playing in Baltimore, take it back to high school a bit, obviously you played high, against high-level competition, but I, I'm sure, you, you know, you played against the, you know, the, the Jewish kids and the, non, and the non-Jewish kids. When you had that step up in, like, an interleague game, right, where, again, you, you – there was a, a jump up in talent level. What was like that that moment where you're just like, wow, this is this is different now? Well, actually, for us, we were very blessed in that my high school coach, he would always bring Division One players to practice because he coached college before he coached high school and went back and forth. So he'd always bring six, eight, six, nine to the gym for us to play against. And so we were always playing against really good competition. And then by the time I was in 10th grade, I was already getting invited to the invitational camps and the Nikes and the ABCD, like the Sonny Vaccaro. I don't know if you saw the, the movie sure. that recently. Like, so I started, I was, you know, I played at those types of NBA camp, Adidas camp with Sonny. 
And I really got a chance to compete and play against the best and still in touch with a lot of the players who I met there. Who is the, who is the best player you played against? In my entire life? No, but so, I'm talking about just like matching up. Like, like you were matched up. Talking, like from, from back in those days, I don't know if you remember Gerald Wallace. I don't know if you remember him. Sure, ended of up playing. So Gerald was at camp with us he, at a very young age. Uh, Carmelo was out there at a very young age. Um, Speedy Claxton, I don't even know if you people know who he was, but Long Island. I'm a Long Island native, of course. He went to Hofstra. Yeah. So before Speedy got hurt, he was unbelievable. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Like I think his early in his NBA career, people didn't really get to see how incredible he really was. But I got to play against him before he got hurt, and it was amazing. Um, yeah, most of the I would say uh, almost anyone who's like my age, basically there's a good chance that I played against them at either NBA camp or Adidas or any, any of these camps. Gerald, Gerald Wallace. I mean, had a, had a nice career. I think made an all-star team, but he's famous for being traded by the nets. That was the pick that became Damian Lillard, which was uh, not necessarily a great move by uh, what was it? Rod Thorne. Was it, was he the GM? I, I don't know, but it was, it was well, a tough scene. I was answering your question as to like, I'm thinking like here I am 16, 17 at these camps and who was just like blowing everyone away here. Like who yeah. was just like, and it was Jared, like the, the, he was like a guy where you just like knew this guy at that age or you just knew he was going to be in the NBA. He was just so fast and so strong and so unbelievable. There's certain players you could just tell at a really young age that you just, we, everyone in the camp knew it. But, Deshaun Stevenson. I don't know if you remember him. Deshaun. No, of when course. He was in high school. Yeah, like when he was in high school, it was like, we, you know, it, it, yeah, stuff like that. The LeBron James agitator, Deshaun Stevenson. Um, yeah, so exactly. Like there's a couple guys that I think back and I'm like, wow, even at a really young age, we knew these guys were just unbelievable. Who's the who's the hardest guard for you to guard? Or do you, you know, you're picking them up half court, you know, maybe even trying to press them a little bit. And, and it's just like, man, this I'm, I'm in for a long night. Um, I would say the hardest person that I ever had to guard from that sense was somebody named Anthony Parker. His, his sister's sure. Candace. Candace had a great career own. in Israel. Maccabi Tel Aviv played for Maccabi, the Raptors. And then he bit. played in the NBA. Now he's the GM of the Orlando magic. And he had this unbelievable ability, no matter how, while you stayed with him to stop on a dime and elevate so high on his pull-up jump shot that it was almost impossible to guard. Uh, but he also had the athleticism to finish at the rim. So it, it was just, he, to, in my opinion, he's a great person and an overall complete player. And he had an un, maybe one of the greatest careers in Europe and he had a very good career in the NBA. And I'm so happy that he's a GM of the Orlando Magic now. Got to play with LeBron in Cleveland a little bit, played in Toronto. Yes. Yeah, he uh, he carved out like a nice career for himself. Um, so obviously, you know, you're famous for getting, you know, an offer from Maryland, who at that time was like a national powerhouse. Like, I think they were in the na national title mix. They won a title a couple of years later in, in 2000. I would have been on a right? championship team. I would have been I, on that team. So, but the, the landscape has changed a little bit. And obviously, you know... It, being a modern Orthodox Jew, there's certain restrictions in terms of travel and, and playing Friday nights and, and whatnot. And I look at like what Coach Steinmetz is doing at Yeshiva University now. And I look at the, you know, the Ryan Terrell story in terms of the arc of his career. And not saying that you, 
I, I'm just curious to know, like, if you had to do it all over again, and again, you know, playing D1 basketball is like the highest level that you could possibly do. But, you know, if you were coming out now, would you do it differently in a sense? Would you give Yeshiva University a shot and try and go that way, considering they've produced a, a G League player now? Yeah, you can't. It's totally can't compare the right. generation, the 20 year span, because I didn't play Division One basketball for myself. I, when I was nine years old, I looked at my hands and I just said to myself, I want to show the world that I'm going to be able to get a scholarship to play Division One basketball without playing on Shabbat. That was my only goal. It was for the Jewish people and it was for Hashem and it was for Israel. It had nothing to do with me. Like that, it was all about that mission. Nowadays, it's completely different. I'm a huge fan of Coach Steinmetz. Um, and I'm, you know, close with the program for many years. And if I was, if it was, if they had going on now, what I would have gone to YU because what's important, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to be around a coach that cares about you. Right. So he definitely has that. You want to be around a coach that helps you, you know, Im improve on the court. He, you have that. You want to be in a program where that's winning. They do that. You know, all the the Jewish and the Israel connection is all embedded in that. Um, and you're going to get a great education. You're going to be in a really healthy atmosphere. So, you know, why would you not? You know, so if, if I was playing today, I would probably choose that. And I also encourage all the top players who I meet nowadays to that are, you know, passionate about their Judaism, you know, it's an incredible opportunity and congratulations to Coach Steinmetz and the program and everything they built. It's something out of this world. And it, we're very lucky to, to be witnessing something like this. Yeah. It's the, I don't want to say turnaround because they had good teams before he got there, but what he, the atmosphere that he's built there, you know, is, is really it's a winning hard. attitude. It's a winning attitude and a winning basketball and a, and a, and a proud Jewish. Yes. Pride. You know, I think sometimes people think like, I just, for me, I feel like Hashem is everywhere. Hashem's on the basketball court. Hashem is in everything we do, everything throughout the day. And being a proud Jewish basketball player, there's no contradiction with Judaism. It's a great way to, have an authentic Judaism through basketball, actually, and an authentic relationship through basketball, and they do a really good job of that. And they're getting talent that, you know, could have been D1 talent. They're getting them to come there. They're, it's showcasing. I mean, the Max Live, the streaming has been, I don't want to say revolutionary, but they've done a really good job getting the content out there and, and has grown the program a tremendous amount where given everything else that's going on in the world right now, like if you wanted to play competitive basketball for a good coach uh, and feel like you can have a safe, normal college experience, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go there. No, it's a dream opportunity. And Kolakavod to him, the players, everyone that's involved in the program, a lot of people behind the scenes also are very involved in helping that program that not a lot of people know about. And, it's just beautiful to watch and I just wish them continued blessings and success. And it's really special and everyone knows about them. Everyone, I, people that I, you know, work with in the NBA and talk to them, everybody knows what's going on at YU, everybody, uh, owners, agent, everybody knows what's going on at YU and 
just wish them a lot of continued blessings and success. And at the same time, a lot of congratulations on, on everything that's going on there and just doing things the right way and playing the right way too. You know, they play the right way, which is really nice to see. It's very refreshing. So how much NBA are you currently watching? Obviously there's a little bit of a time difference right now, but you're still a fan of the game. You still have connections in the NBA. You know, who, who are you watching? Who do you enjoy watching these days? Well, I love watching everybody. I watch anytime I could watch basketball, I'm going to watch basketball. I'm obviously very involved with basketball in Israel, very involved with a lot of stuff, basketball in America at the collegiate and the NBA level. Um, a lot, cause a lot of the stuff in the sports tech scene that I'm in is involved at all of this. So I, I'm always, I, I don't really know, have the time to watch the whole game, but I definitely watch like, you know, the highlights and, and anything that gets like uploaded. I, I just love what's going on. I, I, lo I love how much the, the, it's scary where the talent level is going nowadays. It's literally scary. Well, I mean, yes. well, the NBA right now is the deepest it's ever been. I mean, if you if you go through all the teams and you can watch any game on League Pass right now and right. be incredibly entertained, like even the bad teams have really good promising players. And it's probably why the league is going to expand to 32 teams, because I think it just – it, it can't accommodate all the talent. Yeah, it's basketball is exploding around the world. The talent level is unbelievable. Their kids are getting so great at such a young age. Uh, skill level. I mean, I'm just looking at Wemby. I mean, it's the stuff that he's doing. It's literally, it's unbelievable. Um, my teammate in high school was a GM of the Spurs, who's a GM of the Spurs right now. It, it, I couldn't be happier for him or the San Antonio Spurs and the way this kid plays and the stuff that he's doing, the amount of ground that he covers. Uh, it's, it's almost like you can't believe what your eyes are watching. And um, it's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, the game is exploding so quickly and players need to be really, really, really good. Like you have to be, you want to play at the next level, your skill level and your IQ and your conditioning. And you just have to have the whole package nowadays because you can't get away with it without it. It's just the level is too good. The skill level is too good. Yeah. Wemby had a rough night against my New York Knicks uh, last I night. I saw that. I saw that. But, but I, I, I think, think I think it was yeah. a physicality thing. Like, it's like when you play over here, you play like one or two games at the most. So right now, this is probably the most amount of games that he's played with this type of travel and this type of media in this short amount of time. And for any human in the world at some point it's gonna yeah. it's gonna catch up to him i think it was like a physicality thing he was getting beat up a little bit by new york yeah and he's 19 years old and he's still yeah. you know he still needs to put on some weight uh he's again the the you talked about the jump from playing college basketball to playing overseas in israel professionally the jump from playing in france professionally against the g-leaguers to playing against NBA guys, like as much as I don't necessarily appreciate Julius Randle's uh, basketball acumen, I, I think his style of play is is kind of detrimental to team basketball and winning basketball. He's still a big physical dude. Like Mitchell Robinson's a big physical dude, and there's just a, a level of physicality that he can't necessarily that you know on given nights at a 19 year old, you're just going to be overwhelmed. Yeah, I don't know if it's so overwhelmed. I'll put it to you this way. Like, I'll give you one example. I think like 11th grade, I was like 139 for 147 free throws on the year. My first college game, I missed two free throws. And I, I couldn't believe it. Like, how did I miss two free throws? And the next day I went into coach's office and he's like, your legs are more tired 
then you know they are. And I'm like, what do you mean? And then you realize it's, it's, there is a certain type. You just, yeah, it's not only the physicality, it's just, it's a, it's so much in such a short amount of time. And you're, you're just like, I feel like if he may have played against the Knicks, like the first or second game of the season, it's just a different type of exhaustion almost. And yeah. not only the physicality, it's just, and he's a big, he's expected to do so much, you know, and he's only 19, but it's not like he's just came in the NBA. Like he came in the NBA and like, they're looking for him and he's, he's on the D he's busy on the defensive end. He's busy on the offensive end. He's, he's doing a lot in a really short amount of time. And he's God willing, he stays healthy. He's going to, he is unbelievable. He's going to continue to be unbelievable. But like I said, like I had to learn how to play instead of playing four months out of the year, all of a sudden you're playing like the whole year. Yeah. It's just, there's an adjustment. The style of play from when you were playing has changed so much in terms of pace and space, getting getting out, you know, on the break a little bit, shooting more threes. Um, The lateral movement is the hardest. The the moves that these people are doing, our eyes just never witness them. Like we would, we'd seen a basic Euro step, right? Whatever, but right what they're doing with these side steps and like moves. And then like these different types of step backs that are, we're seeing now our, our eyes didn't know, wouldn't know how to guard that. We, 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 we never saw those moves, the different combinations. It, it's just, it, they're ice skating and floating out there. We, it wasn't like that when I was playing, the they side- were guys that were quick and strong, but it wasn't, I mean, it's just different. There's like seeing new moves. It's almost like, uh, like skateboarders up until one year, they only did this amount of tricks. And then all of a sudden the next generation is doing even more tricks and more tricks and more tricks. And now skateboarders doing stuff now that in the eighties, like they couldn't have even imagined uh, like, um, you know, and the same thing with the moves, like it, it's unbelievable. It's literally unbelievable. I coach a lot of kids. So I see it too. I co- I'm right. always constantly coaching. So you, you see, you know, 14, 15 year old kids doing moves that I didn't learn until I was in college. Right. It's, it's just, it's amazing. And, and also the access to always watching, like, we couldn't always, you couldn't always watch something when I was younger. Now I was about to say YouTube. YouTube is like unbelievable for this now. Like kids are being able to train just based on watching YouTube. Like they're, they're, they're getting their handle down earlier than ever. Right. So it's like, I, I, I remember in 1991 when Michael Jordan, you know, went up with his right hand and then put in his left hand and, and made that famous shot against the Lakers. Like sure. you could, you saw it once, or maybe there was one replay. And you weren't going to be able to really watch it till the next morning on, on, you had to watch 30 minutes of sports center to watch that one clip. You didn't know when they were going to play it. Right. So you had to put it in your mind, whatever you saw once or twice, and then go out there and work on it at the best of your ability. You can rewind and watch it a million times. Like now the little in- intricate details of the move. Right. So the kids could really study that now it's, and it's, it's making them their skill set really high at a very young age. It's funny because there's always a debate in terms of, which era of basketball was more difficult, right? And, you know, they talk about the 90s being, you know, ultra physical, the 80s and 90s. And, you know, it's the game now is is not as brutally physical because, you know, the referees have taken it it out, but it's more physical in a way where just the amount of ground you have to cover in terms of just playing defense, right? I mean, Steph Curry's an anomaly because he's – He's great, but like, if you're guarding Steph Curry, you're picking him up forty feet from the basket, and and you have to be worried once he gets to that forty foot mark, and you're gonna have to run, you know, around in circles and and cover all this ground. Like, 
you didn't have to cover that kind of ground back then. You just guys weren't shooting the way they are now. Yeah, I think that's the see, I think that's the thing. You can't compare generations. Like you we used to have to pick people up and you're guarding people that are quick and fast. I don't know if you remember Rip Hamilton, how he sure. was constantly moving, or Ray Allen. These guys were all constantly moving, but the difference is, is what they're able to do once you get the ball. Like the thing once Steph Curry has that ball, you have it is on such a yo-yo. And he is doing things that your eye so you, you can't compare generations because our eyes wouldn't even know how to look. Now, if Ray Allen grew up at the same age as Steph and he'd make those adjustments and and he then he'd be with it. Yeah. But you can't compare the generations because the training was different, the movements were different, the calls were different. Maybe some of the stuff would have been called travel back in the day. You just can't also, we didn't know what we were eating back then. We didn't know how to lift back then. Everything was like different. So you really can't compare generations. But if you took a Ray Allen or you took a Michael Jordan, you, you, you know, and they grew up in this area, obviously they'd adjust to it and be just as incredible, but you, you can't take one person from one era and, and put them in a different era. It's just too, too different to compare. I would appreciate if the NBA called the James Harden step back three a travel because it is a travel. He, he travels every single time he touches the ball. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's where the game is going and everyone's doing it now and no one's getting called for a walk. So it's not only Harden. It's it, it, just go to any gym right now. Watch what a kid works on. They're doing that same exact move. Obviously, you played guard. Do you wish that, you know, you came around 20 years later because the game is more open right now? I mean, you said you love to get up and down. Like right now, yeah. it's perfect for you and, you know, your your career. Yeah, I love passing. That was always my favorite. It, it, that's what that was my biggest blessing on the court that God gave me. And you know, I kind of really like Lamelo the way he plays in the open court. Like I just, he's kind of bringing passing back to the game, like making it extra fun and cool, which I love. It's like very refreshing. Less, he doesn't use a lot of dribbles. He gets up the court and gets the ball where it needs to go. Or if he does a couple moves, he does it like quickly. Um. So yeah, it's it's a fun era. I. I yeah, I think playing now. I, I, I look. I also played with amazing people and had a lot of fun too. So I, I can't complain. I'm thankful I got to live out my dream. But uh, basketball players always wish they could still play. You know, it's right. it's always so with us. When your career was was winding down, like what was the moment where you're just like, I think I think it's done. I think this chapter of my life is finished. Because as as anybody who's played sports at, at that level. And again, I can't really speak to that because I never got to that level, but there's kind of an aha moment where it's like, I can't, I can't do it anymore the way I used to. Well, what was that moment like for you? I knew it right away when it happened. I, I had gotten hurt really badly, basically after my rookie year in Israel, somehow I managed to go through from surgery to surgery, to surgery, never quit and come back from three career and injuries and play seven years of professional basketball, even though I was in enormous pain and I'm still in enormous pain. But my last practice in 2009, um, I shattered every bone in my left hand. So by that point I'd already had my finger, you could still see physical, yeah. finger surgically put back in my left knee. Can't even talk about how bad that was. And now I, my left hand and coach threw the ball to me. I couldn't even catch the ball anymore. I couldn't even catch a basketball anymore. I called my wife from the locker room and I'm like, God doesn't want me to play basketball anymore. I've tried everything. I fought through seven years, which I'm yeah. proud of. But um, I just knew at that moment I was done. And I, they took me, I went to the hospital. Doctor's like, 
I'm like, you, I already know. Like I already, I could already tell. He's like, <laughs> already, it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. I'm, I, glad, I, I, I'm, I, glad, I'm glad I never quit early though. I'm, I'm proud of that. No, seven years is, is, uh, is a, a nice, nice career, especially, you know, somebody, you know, who comes from this, the background that we came from, like, it's, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable achievement. Uh, switching gears just for a second, you know, obviously, as we've mentioned before, it's a tumultuous time for the Jews right now. Um, Jewish athletes, what kind of role can they play right now? Because on the one hand, they want to focus on what they're doing. But on the other hand, they're, they're trying to be advocates as best as possible. So like, how would you balance that? How would you, you know, what are the things you can do where you're not, I don't want to see being pulled in two different directions, but you know, you have two responsibilities. So like, how do you, how would you balance that right now? Yeah. If I was still an active player, um, I would just try to play as well as possible and exemplify great sportsmanship and have uh, my actions speak louder than words and just, just play at a really high level. Um, now that, and, and, and at the same time, definitely share the truth and things like that, but action speaks louder than words. Um, and now that I'm not playing, just do what I am doing, which is doing as many proactive basketball clinics as I can here in Israel to get the kids to use basketball as a tool to get the kids to not be so numb and so traumatized, which is like, as soon as there's like a huge challenge, you know, the first thing about part of our body wants to do is just like break down and quit and, and be sad and not move around. And hey, our next one's on Sunday. There's thousands of kids that are, um, have been evacuated from their homes in Israel, up North and down South, and they're seeking shelter in Jerusalem. So I'm working a lot with those kids. Uh, actually slam magazine picked up one of our clinics. I think it was like the first major sports publication to, to cover something of sports in Israel under this time of war, which was awesome. Um, and, and I've been going down South to do clinics for the kids too, that are still down there. And, and Sunday's our next one. So just, just try to use basketball to help kids out really and bring people together. Sometimes parents come just to watch, just to like get yeah. out of their house a little bit too, which has been nice. So just try to use basketball as a tool to uplift kids and bring kids together and help them do the game of basketball, basically. Basketball's always been my favorite distraction. Yeah. Whenever. I mean, I you know, now is is times are majorly different, but it was always my favorite distraction. So I mean, I, I still I still play play rec league. I I review my games on Instagram like as like kind of like a little spoof. So you know, I think it's just awesome. You know, I saw a couple of videos on Instagram of of the clinics, and I just think it's incredible, incredible stuff. So, first of all, so that I just wanted to say thank you for doing it because yeah, you know, like us. when I couldn't play anymore, it, it was so devastating to me that I could never play again. It's like my favorite thing in the world and I just can never do it. And like, feel like I lost my knee and my prime and it was very devastating. But my wife's told me, she's like, look, and I always think about this. She's like, look, you know, you're, you're going to be doing the same thing. You just have wearing a different uniform. And she was right. You know, I always try to play basketball for like a higher purpose and using the game to accomplish things that I, for a higher purpose is still what I'm doing. I just can't physically play anymore. And I, I'm just thankful that I could still be involved in the game. So last, last thing we'll get you out on a lighter note. So 
you have the career ending injury. Have you played pickup since? Like, have you done any of that since? You haven't yeah, played I can't do anything. Can't do anything. And every year it gets worse and worse. Unfortunately, uh, my knee never healed. I just went to the doctor again. I went to NBA doctors. Like nobody could help me. Nobody could fix my knee. Um, my son is really good right now. He's, you know, basketball is becoming a really part of big part of his life. So I would say like once or twice a year, I just like shoot with him for like five minutes here and there, but it's every time I shoot, it's so painful, but it's just like a fun bonding experience to be out there with him a little bit, but I, I literally cannot play. As somebody who's played a lot of pickup basketball in their life, what's your number one pet peeve about pickup basketball? Uh, I think my number one pet peeve is like when people, you, you, you want to play, you know, people stop the game every minute arguing about calls, arguing about just play, man. Let's play. Like, that's my main thing. Like we're already out here. Let's just play. Let's just play. I, I don't like all the stop and start and stuff like that. Pick up games. You playing ones and twos, you're playing twos and threes. Cause there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. <laughs> um, it depends if you're indoors or outdoors. Cause it's, Okay. It's yeah. You know, nowadays in a gym, a three pointer is almost like a, like a layup used to be, you know, but if you could still make a three pointer on an outdoor court when there's wind and, and double rims and all this, it should be, should be worth three. I would say. <laughs> yeah. So twos and threes is the only right answer. I mean, a, a three point shot shouldn't be worth double the amount of a, of a two. Like right. play twos and right. threes. College basketball plays twos and threes. NBA play, basketball plays twos and threes. Yeah, I think it's a, sometimes, I don't know. Sometimes one, yeah, I guess that's a good answer. I'll go for it. <laughs> and the, the other one for me is games. Oh, last one. And ones. Yeah. Counting the basket or are we not counting the basket? It depends what kind of people you're around. You know, like for me, I, I didn't even call fouls. Like we just played, man. We just played, played. We weren't even where like you were almost embarrassed to call a foul or even more embarrassed to call an N1, you know, like worst case scenario, check up. Like, like we wanted to play through it. We wanted to get better. We were out there helping each other get better. Like, you know, and I, I was already 16. I was every night. My coach would take me to play against college guys, college guys every night. And no one was calling anything. We were just getting better. We were getting up in each other, you know, like helping each other get better. That's what I always tell the kids that I coach now, help each other get better. Like if you're not up on him, he can't work on his handles. You're not working on your defense. Like, what do we, are we either here to get better or let's go home type of thing, you know? So yeah. it was always very competitive and a lot less calling calls, you know, we were just focused on helping each other get better and getting better and better and better and not stopping the game so much and all the spouse. So like, yeah, that, we let, yeah that, that's still the way I, I train. My, my big thing is if you want the, you know, a foul call not to count the basket, especially like at game point, I understand. I think if there's a two game wait and one should count so you keep it moving. That's a whole nother thing. If right. you got guys waiting and all that. Yeah. I'm, I'm never, not referring because, to that. Yeah. Unfortunately, especially with guys in their thirties, like it, you get to game point, it, it dissolves into like hackathon and you basically like playing rugby. Right. You don't want that. Like, right. Yeah. I don't want to get I, hurt. No, at this I never point. even got to that, that stage of my life. Cause I hurt my knee when I was so young, but so I always relate to like, I just have a different vision. I don't even envision right. that. I envision like guys trying to get, 
into college, you know, get ready for college or get ready for pros and stuff like that. So. It's a shame you didn't get to develop the old man game. I didn't get to develop the old man game. Yeah. I can't bend my knee. I, it's terrible. Tamir, I really appreciate doing this. Hopefully we'll have to have you back on. Maybe if the Wizards are ever relevant, we can uh, we can have you on. But it's 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 yeah, it's- here in Israel, they're always relevant because of Denny. But um, yes, that's yeah, I would love to be in touch and let me know if you're coming to Israel and lots of blessings. Absolutely, and obviously, first of all, I gotta wish you a Mazal Tov on your daughter. I saw that. On Thank the you, program, which is great. Hopefully that uh, that goes off with without any. Um, Hitches, you know, to yeah, well, she's, in our, she's actually a, she's a soldier. She's in the army now. So hopefully, God willing, she'll stay safe and happy and she'll get married and have a great life. God willing. <laughs> amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for doing it, for taking the time. I know you got tons of stuff going on, but I yeah. really appreciate it. I hope. Thank you. It. Oh, one last thing. We'll send you out. Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, Tamir Goodman, I'm very accessible. If I could ever help anybody in any way, you could email me, Tamir, TamirGoodman.com or social media, Tamir Goodman. Um, you know, I feel like God has given me basketball to help. And if I could help people in any way possible, just feel free to reach out. I try to say yes to everybody. <laughs> well, you're doing a great you're doing a great job. And uh, you're an inspiration to a lot of guys my age, because we're not kids anymore, but a lot of guys yeah. my age who grew up playing hoop, who didn't necessarily get to your level, but at least we tried. <laughs> so as long uh, as I, that, I you know, the main thing is, have, you know, have good experiences in life, good experiences. And if they could come through basketball, it's a massive blessing. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much yeah. for doing it again. Hopefully we'll do it again soon. And awesome. uh, we'll be in touch. All the best. Thank you. Thanks again to very special guest, first time guest, Tamir Goodman, for coming on to talk all things basketball, whether it's his playing career, what he sees in the NBA right now, coaching. Obviously, we touched on a little bit of current events, what's going on in Israel. We are wishing the best for everybody there. That's episode 231 for the Lolly Game. Oh, by the way, on lighter topics, I do have to mention, because I forgot to mention in the monologue, shout out to the Los Angeles Clippers. The Los Angeles Clippers who traded for James Harden are now 0-4 since the Harden trade. It's largely looked like a mess. Paul George has been worse. Kawhi Leonard has been worse. Russell Westbrook has been worse. James Harden does not look good. How many more chances can this guy get? It's just beautiful to watch. It's honestly beautiful to watch. And yesterday, Tyrese Maxey had a 50-point 10-assist game, and Joel Embiid is playing better than he did last year when he won the MVP. I'm a Knicks fan. I obviously want the Knicks to win a title, but if Philadelphia won a title, I would be one of the happiest guys around because James Harden is the worst. He's the worst. Well, second worst. Kyrie Irving is the worst, but James Harden is a close second. Anyway, just had to get that one off my chest. That's episode 231 for the Love of Game. Take us out. Pop. I know it's kind of rough and you're feeling all alone. Daddy's long gone and he left you by your lonesome. Thanks the Lord for my kids, even if nobody else wants them. Because I think we can make it in fact, I'm sure. And if you fall, stand tall to come back for more. Because ain't nothing worse than when your son wants to know why his daddy don't love him no more. You can't complain you was dealt this. Hell of a hand without a man feeling helpless. Rolling down your cheek Is that hoping things don't all fall this week Cause if it did you couldn't take it And don't blame me I was given this world I didn't make it And 
Now my son's getting old, and old, and cold From having the world on the show While the rich kids are driving bins I'm still trying to hold on to survive and friends And it's crazy, it seems they'll never let up Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.